Good evening, everybody. This is Pastor Matt of Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors, a show where we come together, uh, two guys who happen to be pastors, and we talk about all the aspects of pastoral life. I am joined, as always, with my my friend, my confidant, and general purveyor of awesomeness, Pastor Glenn Davis. Glenn, I'm glad to have you here with me, as always. Howdy doodly do. Going full on Ned Flanders this evening. Dabbly doodly, oakly doodly. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and rain on that awesome parade and uh, insist that you, friend, reek of awesomeness as we move forward here in the evening. We're going to talk about funny stuff tonight. We are, it's yes. Um, you know what? It's and I'll tell you what. You know what's funny? Purdue's basketball team today. I, 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 ugh. They look tired. They they were there was some there was some limping going on from yesterday's game. There was some huffing and puffing going on. Not a lot of movement. There I, I we watched the Iowa game. I watched it with Dad, and even he. I mean, he's not really that big on basketball. But we got to the, I think like five minutes after the first half, and he said those boys are tired. I mean, they're just dragging their feet, not wanting to go up and down. And he said every time you'd see a little bit of action, it took him like five minutes to get back to regular, you know, not wheezing. But, <clears throat> so, a little bit of joke here. We're, we're Purdue fans here, you know, but uh, it is good. We thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the Anchor. Uh, we are also on uh, on our Facebook page, Two Guys Happy Pastors. And did you... Uh... Did you, you neglected to mention the Eastern Hancock Royals regional champions? How did I get? I, that was my next step, Glenn. It, right. It's it's my next step. Uh, Lies make baby Jesus cry. Oh, for the love of Mike! Now we haven't gotten. We're not even five minutes into the show yet. But yes, our awesome local team, the Eastern Hancock Royal Pride team. They have won the regionals and are on to semi-state this coming weekend. It's the first time that Eastern has won the regionals since 03. In 03, I was... I was like in 6th grade, I think. I was 10. Well, no. I was younger than that. Because I would have been 11. So, 4th grade, 5th grade, somewhere in there. I'm sure that... I'm pretty sure that all of us got a t-shirt back then. Nice. Um, so I'm sure if I dig deep, deep, deep in the pile of laundry in my room that's still there, I probably still have it. It doesn't fit, though. So, awesome guys. Uh, <clears throat> my wife and I have a nephew on that team. Give him a little shout-out, Cyrus Burton. That kid's been playing with his whole heart this entire season. All the kids have. Um, they have really earned where they're at right now. Um, they've worked hard, and it's exciting to see, and I'm I'm tickled to death. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to where they end up. I mean, if they go all the way, that'll be that'll be quite a feather in their cap because they think they've got, what, five, senior, five seniors this year, I think? Four? I'm sure they do. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't really know. But... Uh, <clears throat> But awesome to those guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, exciting stuff going on around here. A lot of a lot of stuff that we can uh, 
give thanks for, celebrate with, and, and everything else. So, tonight, as you may have noticed, we have gone with a new format. The scriptedness of this show, well, basically, every single time we would do it, we basically threw the script out within about, what, 10, 15 minutes of the show? It was a lot of prep work for little payoff with how we were doing it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, so, I mean, but, I mean, that's the whole point of a podcast, you know. It's just literally two guys who share their, you know, want to share their opinion. Whether you agree with us or not, I don't really care. No. You can address complaints to www.idontgiveacrap.com. I think Glenn's in a rare form tonight. I don't know. It sounds like. Gonna, huh? get, gonna get red behind Glenn tonight. I, I, I got a feeling. I mean, I, it's, it's a... Uh, I don't know if it's the Purdue loss or the fact that Tom Brady... I'm sorry it's all sports right now, but it's it's been on my mind all day because of Purdue's game and then, you know, the recent announcement. As of 8.22 on Sunday, March 13th, as of recording this, just came across the wire, Tom Brady is going to be playing his 23rd season in the NFL. This man started playing football when I was still in elementary school. Like, I had, like, first grade. I'll take you in deeper water than that. He was playing high school ball maybe by the time you were born. Oh, gosh. Four years at Michigan. He got drafted in 99. It's four years at Michigan, 95. Four years in high school, 91. Oh, uh, well, he would have been playing high school ball when I was... Just a dream in my daddy's eye. I mean, that's a long, that's a lot of football. I mean. Find something you love, you never work a day in your life. Back to choring. <laughs> At any rate, I can't believe it. Um, somebody sent me a text, actually, I'll read it. Um, it, it, it was hilarious since we were talking about this. I sent. A, I was reading it on. I got the the news article from Barstool. That's who tipped me off. Quality uh, entertainment, let me tell you. But uh, my buddy said the year is tw- two thousand and fifty two, and Tom Brady just led the Bucks to their twenty fourth championship. And I was going to add on said when he when asked about his uh, impending legacy, he walked up with his walker, took his oxygen mask off, and said, "We won." <laughs> Good so, thing they didn't have a pass rush. Mm, let me tell you. But uh, yeah, that that was that's that's that comical. Probably changes the Buccaneers draft pick. Then. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, well, shoot. Did you see uh, the Colts traded uh, wins? Carson wins. Yeah. Almost nothing. I mean, literally. Well, what did we move up? Like two spots in the draft and two. Th- I don't think you even moved up in the draft. Really? I thought we did. Like we got a couple thirds. That's nothing. I mean, literally, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that's, I couldn't remember. I thought they moved up in the draft a little bit, but maybe they didn't. That is just, that's like basically selling a Maserati for $18.95. Being awful generous calling Carson Wentz a Maserati. In relative terms here, bud, in relative terms. I don't think he's a relative of a Maserati in any way, shape, or form. All right, Geo Metro, then. What are we talking, you know? That's warmer. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I could have gone with an 89 Civic or something, you know. But I mean, you could have said a Maserati with a blown tire or something. I mean, so. Thrown rod or something, I don't know. It's still a Maserati. It's still a Maserati. I mean, even if you just set it in the garage and make the, no, you know, the noises with your mouth. Brrr, you know. About what they did this year. Pretty much. But, uh, well, and while we're on the topic, the Denver Broncos have Russell Wilson now, which is quite... Um, I hadn't seen that come across. When yeah, a few days ago. Really? Had, uh, three players and uh, four draft picks for Russell Wilson. Mm. I, it'll, it'll be worth it. I was gonna, it's not, I mean... He's only 31. Oh, fun. yeah, he's fine then. Yeah. Heck, maybe we'll be celebrating a... Uh, a Super Bowl victory party at your place this this coming year. Well, I hope. I got some work to do in free agency, but we'll see. Yeah, they'll do all right. I but feel better than I did. Well, you're a Broncos fan. You have, I mean, any little thing has to make you feel a little bit better. We played eight more Super Bowls than the Colts. <laughs> so. I don't care about about the the NFL at too much. I mean, if the Colts are doing good just because of the home team, woohoo! But that's been a long time since that's happened, bud. I've um, I've gotten a kick out of recent years. Of course, the Chiefs have mm-hmm. emerged with Patrick Mahomes and oh, don't. Travis Kelsey. So all the kids at school are wearing Chiefs stuff now, Charger stuff. And, um, I catch a lot of uh, garbage for my Broncos stuff because I don't shy away from it. No, 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 no. And um, kids will get on me and I'm like, are you aware? Of how many Super Bowls the Denver Broncos have played in? And they're like, oh no, because I've never seen them in one. I was like, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. So, uh, yeah, kids uh, kids today just, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest ever. Well, I could argue that haircut knocks him a couple pages. Yeah, well, that and that. We're splitting hairs now. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we're gonna have a "Don't Laugh" challenge. We're, we're I this is gonna get this is gonna get interesting now. It's gonna get interesting, but uh, yeah, we but, you know, like you say, let's let's go ahead and get into the show. I guess well, we're already in the show. Let's move on deeper into this show. People often wonder. Um, we assume. I don't know. We're gonna talk about it anyways. Um. People wonder, like, how do you come up with material for a sermon every single Sunday? How do you, you know, how do you figure out what you're going to say? How do you do this? How do you do that? Why do you include this stuff? You know, and I'll be honest, there's some, like, we both had, you know, our styles that we do. And um, as I mentioned last week, I have kind of been chastised for the way that I do my sermons um, in the past. And uh, has it changed the way I've done sermons? No. But people, you know, we're going to kind of tell you about how it comes around. And if, for, you know, if God's tugging on your heart, say, hey, you could do this. And you say, what would I even talk about? Well, we're going to let you into our process, a little, you know, quite a bit. So, Glenn, you use you use hooks, right? You uh, you kind of start I'm a, off. I'm a hook guy. You're a hook guy. Why don't you why don't you, uh, why don't you fill us in on that a little? Uh, well, I was fortunate enough to be blessed with some mentors that uh, were very very strong public speakers, 
And I would start with kind of where I started with in the process many, many years ago. And I would ask you, why is your favorite episode of a television show, let's say a comedy, Simpsons, it was one I always used, um, why do you sit through an entire episode? Normally, with a show like Simpsons, Family Guy, Futurama, you know, something we're into, they lay out the premise early and they get you hooked. Yeah. So, for example, um, my favorite episode of The Simpsons is an episode where Homer becomes an internationally famous artist. And all he's doing is breaking things. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the one where like, the, the bumper comes off the back of the car? The bumper comes off the back yeah. of the car, and uh, he tries to build a barbecue. And um, the whole premise of the episode they hook you with is that Homer gets angry, Bart's agging him on, and he just starts breaking stuff. <laughs> And he throws it in the garbage, which I think he actually throws it in Flanders' garbage. Mm -hmm. And somebody finds... No, that's what it was. He drags it with a bumper and it falls off and hits another car. That's what... He was taking it to the the Salvation Army Toys for Tots thing. That's right. And he said, what is that? Oh, it's a kid's activity center, you know. And then immediately the cop stopped... Wiggum stops him. And then immediately the mob guys come up with a body that's rolled up in the carpet and said, Hey, what you got there? Beanie baby. <laughs> <laughs> These are all yard trimmings. Oh, by the way, I can do Fat Tony too. I'm sorry. Matt hates when I can just do off-the-cuff impressions. I do a pretty good to Fat Tony. So. Yeah, yeah. These are all yard trimmings. Who'd, who would have ever thought I'd want naked pictures of Whoopi Goldberg? And he throws them in the bottomless pit and that throws them back out. So, <laughs> that's a whole thing. But that they hook you because, yes, he tries to put it in the Salvation Army bin. He tries to put it down in the bottomless pit. And then eventually he just kind of cuts it off and lets it go. And it takes out a bunch of cars. <laughs> and um, the lady comes back and says, is this yours? And he says, no. And it says, property of Homer Simpson on the back. <laughs> Oh, it had, it had something funny on the bumper. So, um, so I remember I, w- I was taking a uh, preaching class. I had 2007-2008 frame. And they talked about that, that very premise. What was your favorite TV show and why did you like it? Uh, another one of my favorites is the episode of Futurama when Bender becomes Pharaoh, which, of course, I have an autographed script. Yes. Um, up in my up in my uh, den, and but there's of course the cutting famous line of uh, they're trying to figure out who the next pharaoh is going to be, and Bender's manipulated it, and those are waves, Jack, wagging them in the water, <laughs> and uh, it it teaches you to understand that if you can get a cutting hook, something to really get somebody's attention, funny, sad, otherwise. That fits with the premise you're going with. You can get eyeballs on you immediately. Now, a lot of people have told me over the years that it's a little, it's a little crude, and I call those people sourpusses. Uh, yeah. Because <clears throat> serious question, friends, are we super worried 
about appealing to and bringing in the people that are already in our church and have been in those churches for 60, 70 years? Or are we trying to reach people in the community that wouldn't normally darken the door of a church? The answer is the latter. If you answered the former, you're the problem. I'm sorry, you're the problem. Yeah. So, my thought process has always been, how can I really dig, how can I really be funny, get everybody's attention, and if it's a terrible joke, how can I sell them on, you know, well, it can only get better from here, or, you know, good night, everybody, and walk off, or, or um, you know, you'll tell a joke. I've manipulated a few stories over my life where you think it's going to end with, like, a dud, but then I manipulate it a little bit, and it goes a completely different way, and I'm like, I bet you didn't expect that, did you? You know, and... <laughs> People engage. All of a sudden, you now have the attention of everyone in the room. And a well-placed hook, a well-thought-out hook, can open up somebody to the rest of your message. It's the same thing with a well-placed story. And I, th I thought to myself, how would I sell you on this? So this could be a hook or a sermon illustration. And I just kind of want to show you guys how this works. So, if I were going to sit here for the next 35 to 40 minutes and talk to you about 1 Timothy 2, who's sticking around for that bad boy? I'm going to go into the Greek and Hebrew analysis of the wording. I'm going to parse it all out and, and um, grammatically do the grammatical syntax of how the words fit together, and I'm going to go through the historical. And Anybody still with us? I'll be honest, I'm in here, and I even tuned out a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> but what if I start a sermon out this way? Lauren and I went to Louisiana in 2014. It was one of the most fun trips we ever took as a couple. I would love to do it again. We haven't been for a while. But New Orleans one of her favorite cities. I can't stand it with all the voodoo and nonsense. But... <laughs> <laughs> voodoo on every corner friends voodoo on every corner um it is fun to walk through the french quarter that's about it <laughs> but uh you can go and take tours of old plantations you can ride river boats it's it's a good time mm -hmm. uh the food i'm told is exquisite i don't eat seafood so i usually end up eating you know the, the cow or the chicken nuggets whatever part they decided to cut off so Here's the deal. We're traveling down I-55, which goes through Effingham, Illinois. Comes out of Chicago, goes through Effingham, Illinois. Goes through Memphis, goes through Arkansas. You, know, you can stop at Graceland, get yourself thrown out of uh, Elvis' home. <laughs> I thought about jumping in the pool one time, but I didn't feel like getting arrested that day. No. Um, and then you go down into Louisiana. Well, we had a thought one day. That we were going to go to Monroe, Louisiana. Now, you may not know at this point what Monroe, Louisiana is famous for. But you will the moment I say the name. Monroe, Louisiana is the hometown of Phil Robertson. Of oh, Duck Dynasty. Yeah. And that show and that cultural trend was extremely popular at the time. So, we thought we would go find... Buck Commander, mm -hmm. and go shopping. But why not? Yeah. I got a gift shop in there. We'll go pick something up. Well, Lauren inputs the geographical coordinates needed to find such a place. 
And it is now my duty, as a lot of you have probably heard, to tell you that my wife is the worst navigator on earth. Um, we live in Indianapolis, the mm-hmm. area. I looked at her and asked her, is it this exit or the next one to go to Top Golf?" And she stared at me like, why would you think I would know that? Considering she drives by it every day, you would have thought she might have known that. So I said to Lauren, I said, you got the coordinates? She said, yes. Well, we drive an hour into the Louisiana swamp. Nothing. No town, no Monroe, Louisiana University, nothing. We're just driving, driving. I said, Lauren, I don't think you know what you're doing. She says, look, I typed in Buck Commander. This is what it said. All right, but I've seen the TV show, and it looked like it was on a pretty busy road. So, so we weave around and around, and we come to finally a clearing, and we pull up. And I said, hey, Lorne, you found Buck Commander, all right. That's their house. <laughs> Are you serious? We pulled right up to Phil and Kay Robertson's house. I know the amount of guns and ammunition they own, so we very quickly turned around and escorted ourselves off the property. <laughs> well, how, how do you mess up that bad? I mean... Well, I'll tell you another story. Lauren had an atlas. Oh, Lord. Lauren had an atlas in her hand. We are at Los Angeles International Airport. There is a major road called the 605, I think it's, no, it's not 605, it's a 110, it's 110, that goes into the airport. And I said to Lauren, do I turn left or right? This was many years ago, we're using an atlas. Yeah. I said, do I go left or right to get to the 110? And she stared at me. I looked at her, and I said, "Um, Lauren, we are in El Segundo, California, there's six different gang signs on that sign. I need to know which way to turn. <laughs> she stared at me. I proceeded to drive back to where I knew how to navigate the area with an atlas in my lap. Oh. She had no idea. Third story. We were driving through the um, Death Valley portion of California. So, um, southwestern part of the state. And uh, it's crazy. It's 122 degrees there that day. We got up to the top of the ridge, and it was 99, and we all felt like somebody turned on the air conditioner. Oh. Like, Lauren was like, I need to put a coat on. I'm like, that's not a good idea. (laughs) So, we're driving back, and so we're in southwestern California, trying to get back to southern California. And we come up, we're at, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Like, you think you know nowhere, you don't know nowhere. So we're driving along, and I said, um, okay, there's a there's a junction up here, which, which way do I need to go? Lauren's holding the atlas. <laughs> I said, which way do we need to go? She looks at me. Just My friend Manuel's in the back, he goes, which way do we go? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Look at the map. There's only two roads, and they are splitting right in the middle of the state. It's not that. She didn't know. So we drove past it. Manuel said, well, surely both of the roads go back to Southern California. It's fine. We drove another hour straight ahead, and we came finally to a major crossroad, Highway 395, if you want to look it up on your maps. 
and you'd go left or right, and of course we were going left because it was south. And I said out loud, my word, those mountains in the distance are gigantic. There's some big mountains out there. We went down the road a little bit, came to another junction, and found a sign for Scenic Mount Whitney Observation Point. Mount Whitney is in Central California. We had gone 80 miles in the wrong direction. Oh. <laughs> How do you mess up that bad hole in the map? No, no. And the extra kicker for all our friends out there who've forgotten another time and place, the gas station we happened to pass was out in the middle of nowhere, and that was the first time I ever paid over $7 for a gallon of gas. Oh, Very soon, I believe, will be the second time (laughs) I paid $7 for a gallon of gas. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, or whatever. So so let me ask you a question. If I was going to preach on the road of life, or there's a psalm I love, Psalm 84, if you want to look it up, where it talks about going to the temple. So physically traveling the countryside to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple. And I opened the message with one or one of those stories, even all three of them, those stories. Would you be a little more interested in what I have to say? Yeah. Absolutely. That's the idea behind a hook. Yeah. A lot of people will tell you, well, you're talking about yourself, or you're talking about this. Yep. Well, first of all, I don't tell other people's stories when I talk about Jesus. I need to get that right out in front. If you hear about Jesus from me, I'm going to tell you what he's done for me. Because in Psalms, several times, in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I will chapter and verse it if you email me and call me a liar. I will tell you where you can find it. It repeatedly says, when you go to the temple and God has answered your prayer, has answered a vow, you are to tell everyone you see in the temple for one whole day what God did for you. You jump on a soapbox and you talk about it. Why are we any different today? I'm going to tell you my story and how it relates to that story in Scripture. That's what I did today, talking about Malachi. Malachi has played an important role in my life because it's it plays into the New Testament. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And so I talked about, you know, the worst pastoral joke I've ever heard to this day. I think it's giving me gout right now, so I'm not going to tell it again. Uh, ooh, ooh, you can I... find it at the Willow Branch United Methodist Facebook page. Um, but also the, the struggles that the Methodist Church is going through. Lord help us all. Um... <laughs> You know, we have one side that think they're right because they think no one needs to be saved and no one's done anything wrong. You got another side who thinks those people can never be saved. Neither one is right. You're taking it into your own hands. Mm-hmm. So how do you not take the personal experience of something that's going on right now? How do you talk about Ukraine in a church setting if you can't mention the war in the Ukraine and your experience with it? For those of you who don't know, if I haven't mentioned it, I had a classmate, a girl I graduated with, who was doing missions in Kiev when the bombs dropped. Oh, man. And it hit not about a block or two from their house when they first dropped. They had to evacuate the Ukraine with three children under five. Oh, God. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that? 
And how God delivered them, got them to Budapest, and got them back to America. That's you're the one who's being selfish. Yeah, absolutely. If your pastor gets up and tells you three wooden crosses by Randy Travis, if you haven't heard it, stop this right now and go listen to it, and then come back. You're not supposed to talk about personal things. Why not? You are supposed to tell your story. It's in the original law. Jesus tells people personal things about themselves when he talks to them. Oh, is he, oh well, he can do it because he's Jesus. I know, but he told me to do it too. So, <laughs> I'm not real sure what... Uh, oh, are we bumping Turbo Man? Yeah. Where, but if you heard the, the friction noises, that was Turbo Man being bumped by the mic. Yeah. My sincerest apologies. I got on my soapbox for a second. No big deal. No, no I mean, I agree with you. I mean... I think that I I agree with you a lot. I mean, in spec, I mean, in more ways than one. I think the fact that if a pastor can get up there, and not only, and I mean, that's the whole. I mean, that was one of the whole points why we started this whole show, to show the humanity of the pastor. We're not wooden. We're not. We're literally. We live a life. I know some, I've talked to some kids, you know, when I first started in ministry, they said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. <clears throat> and they said, oh, so like you live in the, like, don't like preachers live in the church or something like that? Still joke like, you know, teachers live in school. <laughs> like, well, if you're, uh, if you're in Catholicism or something like that, you're, you know, you might have a, a little, a little room in the, in the, uh, cathedral or whatever i mean but when you can interject humanity in a sermon and because i'm going to tell you something all the pastors i have known have lived very interesting very detailed very some very uh rough lives i mean that's just the long and short of it and <clears throat> I, for those of you who, who have never, you know, if you want, if you look up our sermons, I hope you do. Um, Please do. Yes, a, a, absolutely, do yes. Um, you know, I, if if the story that I, because I tell, Glenn, you know this, I tell a lot of stories when I, um, when I preach. That's how I got up, that's how I got my, gut, you know, get up and go. Um, you know, I would, I've noticed here lately, it's kind of morphing into something a little different. I'm telling stuff that's not necessarily, it used to be what would happen to me that week and then preach on it that week. Um, and it's becoming more and more about, well, because the thing about it is that puts a lot, I mean, unless it's just something that God lays on your heart, like a cinder block you know, if you're constantly looking for something new, you might accidentally, something's going to, could come up that you haven't thought of for five, ten years. And, you know, it, it correlates to something that you've been wanting to talk about, but you didn't really know how, or, you know, it, it relates to, to a situation that needs to kind of be addressed, you know, scripturally. And, <clears throat> like this morning, I preached on... Uh, I preached on uh, on how 
we instantly are looking for people how we're looking for people to fail. We are looking we don't give anybody yeah. any credibility, any slack in nope. preaching. We root for or, them to fail. Exactly. It's innate. Whether we want to admit it or not, um we do. I don't care if you've been a Christian. I asked this this morning and I said, how many of us have been Christians for 10 plus years? Majority of them raised their hands. 20? 30? 40? I have a lady in my congregation, I think she's 91, and I looked at her and said, Miss Marguerite, I could keep going for 60, 70, 80 years and you'd still be holding your hand up, so I'm going to stop right here, honey. And uh, she, we all got a chuckle out of it. But... I correlated and I said, look, it doesn't matter how many years you've been a Christian because we all have been doing this. We don't have, we don't offer credibility to it. I correlated it. My wife said it was a little ham-fisted and didn't really fit, but I'll see what you think, Glenn. I correlated it to when we were starting to learn how to ride a bike. And we start with a tricycle. Then we go on to a bike with training wheels. Then we take the training wheels off. We weren't automatically great to start with. We weren't BMX, you know, X Games material. Um, I never did get there. Well, the only reason I mentioned that was because literally, and the only reason I I interjected the X Games was because we were getting ready to leave for church this morning and Lorraine was watching an extremely goofy movie, the second one. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a good movie. You know, for those of you who don't know, been living under a rock for the last 20 years. I actually remember, you know when that movie came out? Leap Day 2000. That was the original Wallace V, V-O-G. I mean, it is. I mean, you've got a killer soundtrack, a good story. You know, they handed out Oscars to Disney movies before the year 2012. Yeah. That one probably takes at least the score. It, at um, least at least the score. Um, score, for anyone who's not a big movie buff, is the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, it... I'm surprised... It didn't, didn't want to insult anybody's intelligence, but also didn't want to leave anybody out. Well, that... <laughs> did it... It didn't win... Did it win any Grammys? I don't... I don't think it... I don't know. I don't think it did, no, which is... a long time. That movie came out in 96. Oh, golly, Ned. I grew up... I mean, of course, I was born in 92, so I was about four or five when it came out. I was 11. That hit me at a a weird time in life. It had an impact on me, so... It's a good... I mean, it's still one of those... It's one of those things... You could legit... I mean, I still pull it up on my phone, and I jam to it, because it's such a good... I mean, it has, like, staying power. But, uh, but you know, I was, but this morning I, I was talking about this, and my wife said, well, it really didn't tie in. And I said, well, think about it. We were riding a bike. We fell down a lot. We stumbled. We had a lot of skin, skin knees, bruised elbows, a lot of crying, a lot of tears, maybe in the occasional, you know, swear from dad. Dad saying, man up. Yeah. Um... But, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of these opportunities. And, but when we did finally reach that point, it was our first taste of what we could achieve, of what we could do. We had the liberty to go do whatever we wanted, to go wherever we wanted, within reason. I lived out in the country, and the nearest run I had was five miles. That's not exactly something you're going to bike to when you're eight. But my correlation was 
we are looking for people to stumble. And when they do stumble, when they do fail, we immediately want to laugh at them. We want to talk about them. We want to judge them. And I'm sorry. I don't care if you're a recently, um, recently baptized believer in Christ or if you've been one for X amount of years. We all have that thing. The thing about it is we all started at the same point. We all were there. And somebody came along and walked with us and helped with us, whether that be Jesus himself or another, you know, another person in the church. We still had those opportunities with the, you know, we still had that shot. Why in the world would we not want to offer that to somebody else? And my wife said, and I correlate, you know, and I go on to say, you know, somebody who comes in and they want to offer opportunities they want to offer experience or whatever and it legitimate and you know we want to keep them at arm's length because again we want to see them fail we want to see them we don't like change we don't like new things coming around but the problem is we're pushing that away pushing those people away and keeping them at arm's length is I mean, it's basically shooting ourselves in our own foot because it really doesn't afford the opportunity for us to grow the sheepfold, to bring in that, that lost lamb. And I was explaining it to my wife, you know, because we always talk about it on the way home, and she said, well, <clears throat> if you're if you were trying to you know, you correlate that and use all this. I mean, it, it went over a lot of people's heads. I got a feeling. I don't need to go, <clears throat> and that that brings us up to my next to our next point with with a message, I guess. Not every message that we give is going to affect a hundred percent of the members in the fuse. It's not. It's not. Well, and that's also, I would say, not up to us. It, it's not, no. Sometimes you get really surprised where you speak on something and someone will come up and say, wow, that really touched me today. And you're like, wow, I had no idea you were in a mountain climbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's up to God to do that. We're, we are writing a message that is based on our experiences, our study. But make no mistake, at least with me, I invite the Holy Spirit to speak every single time. And you have to depend on God to uh, to speak to people. And you don't always get control over that. Like some of the kids over the years that I've invested in, and I'm sure some people were surprised by the people that I followed. But a lot of the kids that I've invested in that have really taken to me and what I'm talking about, I think surprise some people. And, you know, when you're the big-time athlete and you're in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and you're wanting to connect with this young stud athlete and he's following around the guy that's got a bum knee and glasses and looks like a melting version of, like, a professional wrestler... Talking about myself here, I was folks. Say, that, sound, that seems a little pointed, Glenn. <laughs> like, there's some people who've gotten frustrated with me over the years because 
people gravitate towards me, but what what I tell them in response is, are you telling Christ where you're going? Or is Christ telling you where you're going because it matters? And I often get looks. Like I remember a guy spoke at one of my church camps one year, told us about that. Uh, but he, he played on a very high-rated soccer team at the time, late 90s, early 2000s had uh, played against some of the best soccer players, guys who were on, like, the Olympic team, getting beat by Iran and Cuba and whoever else we were playing. Um, But he said he would work camps and stuff, and he learned the hard way that you don't get to pick who you minister to. Right. You cast the net, God puts the fish in the net. So, yes, you have to be aware that you're not going to address... In fact, most of my messages, Matt, I'll tell you the truth, I don't give a lot of consideration to the congregation when I'm putting it together. A lot of times, it's a battle I'm fighting or a road I'm walking, and I just depend on, well, God's going to use this because he's putting it in my heart and he's putting it on the paper, and uh, you go with it. And Sometimes you're standing up in the pulpit and you see something really resonating and you just keep harping it and you lose an entire part of your message that's the other part when people tell me well you have to have it planned out you have to know what you're doing and you have to know what topics you're approaching and have i used to be that guy until i started realizing that there were things i was needing to address that i needed to address and I had to go off script a few times and eventually I had to stop using a script. Everything I do is meticulously prepared. Like I taught and I did it in a really effective way. I think though, ultimately, you know, time will tell. Um, I taught the book of Malachi today. Mm -hmm. That takes an immense amount of preparation. It's a lot of pressure because you're teaching it to people that aren't paying for classes. (laughs) So, um, But God put that on my heart, that I need to educate people on the Bible, its contents, why they're important. I would bet you any amount of money that every person in my church, including Ann Wallace, who is 91 years young, has a beautiful heart, has been going to church her entire life. I bet I taught her something today. And you have to know when you go up there that God has blessed this. He has put that in your heart and you just do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the great Jim Nichols used to always tell me, man, you got to go up there and talk to people. You're not presenting a paper. You're not doing a play. You're talking to people. and You, you can be funny. You can have fun. Well, I don't know why you don't have more fun with it. <laughs> and um, you learn over time. Just kind of let the spirit work. Absolutely, and yeah. A lot of times, that's my battles. Because i found more often than not, the stuff I'm battling, most other people are battling too. And you have to trust. And when you, when you have a current event, I have a motto in my ministry, and I've lived up to it for a long time. There is nothing I'm afraid to talk about. Nothing. Maybe not in good conscience, yeah. but I'm not afraid to talk about it. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, just a little point. There, there are two things 
that I have said I would never bring up in the pulpit. Politics, which is disgusting in of its own right, um, but uh, which is funny because I used to be a politician. Um, recovering. Recovering from it. Um, <laughs> and as we know, I, I have uh, certain political beliefs that uh, you know I still carry. But the other one that kind of throws people is is money. I hate, I hate the idea of talking about money in the pulpit. Well, and in Malachi today, I did some educating on that because Malachi is usually the one people go to talk about tithing. Yeah. And I've heard some token, crummy sermons about tithing out of Malachi over the years because people were basically forced to. Yeah. And I just, I went for it. I'm like, hey. When you agreed to the Hebrew covenant, you agreed to give a tenth of your income to God, your first cut of your crops, your firstborn of your cattle, whatever it was that was the best went to God. That's not anything that you were made to do. You agreed to the covenant. That's what you did. If you didn't do it, you were stealing from God. That's what that passage means. And a lot of people take it and say, well, you got to support church. you got to say, bull. That's not what no, it's about. No, I, yeah. And I get frustrated when people take that out of context. Do you owe it to God? Yeah, well, yeah. If you pledged it and everything, sure. You made a promise. Follow through on it. Are you inherently supposed to give a tenth of your income to God no matter what? Well, not under this covenant. <laughs> I mean, Malachi's Old Testament. It was yeah. written to Hebrews. Mm-hmm. So, should you, if you're going to follow God, you give him the best. And this is a correlation with Malachi. I'll share with you. Maybe maybe this will be something for you. Um, in Malachi, it says that you are robbing God if you're not following through on your covenant, covenant duties and giving your tenth and your first cuts, your first fruits, they call it. Jesus, in the Gospels, encounters the same marketplace Malachi did. Blind animals, hurt animals, sick animals, those are not the first fruits. You're not going... For forgiveness, you're going for permission. And Jesus kicks every table over and wakes a whip out of cords and said, you've turned my house into a den of thieves because you're robbing God. That's deep. Yeah. A lot more deep than, Charles, you're only giving 5% of your income to the church, you piece of crap. (laughs) Completely out of context. But... Just, and this is not anything personal between us, just my belief, and no one else has to have it. I will talk about that. Because people need to hear it. Because people look down, it's just like it was in Bible times. People look down on people who can't give that much. But I say every week, if you don't have it to give us, don't give it to us. Take care of yourself. Yeah. We don't need it. If you are a member of your church and you love your church, and you are doing good things in your church, you will support it. I say in every board meeting, why are we doing it? doesn't matter. Would this community miss us if we were gone? That's why you give to your church. If your church ain't doing nothing, don't give them anything. That's my take on it. What are you doing to support your community, to care for people, to bring people to Christ? If the answer is nothing, heck with it. Don't give them anything. You need a reason. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, it, it's, and I mean, I guess why I'm so gun shy about bringing it up in the pulpit is because, because I've heard some, some, pa- some uh, passages, some messages that 
you know, it was they draw on the Malachi scripture and they literally they ride that thing like it's the last horse outside it's of one town. Line. Yeah, it's one line. I mean, literally. I mean, that's the, that's just it. They literally draw on that one line for the whole message. And I'm sorry. So there's a one line in Timothy that women can't be ministers to. It's no. crazy what we will build <laughs> theological principles and laws on. Well, honestly, it, it's well. I mean, I preached on it last week. It. What's the scripture? Wives submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's Corinthians or Peter. I think it, maybe Corinthians. Um, but but and I and I thought it was so funny because, in the way I met correlated it was we read that first part and we're all gung ho about it. Guys are you know oh hey yeah, you guys needs to hush up. It, it is in the scripture you have to follow me, and then literally the very next chunk is husbands love your wife as Jesus love as Christ loved the church. Which means he's willing to die for it. Exactly, I mean, and. You could immediately say, I mean, there were some guys in there. I kind of got some laughs on it and everything. And I said, there's going to be a lot of long car rides home if I stop right here. You know, because the husband's going to be like, well, yeah, that's the way it should be. And then I brought up the second half. And then the women kind of started, I noticed one or two starting to do that eye-side glance. You know, like, hey, you paying attention here? And then I said, man, that car ride just got a lot longer because there ain't going to be a yeah, peep right. out of them words, you know? Um, but, I, but like I say, I, I don't, I'm still, and get, granted, I'm young in ministry. I admit that. You was a baby. I mean, I am a very, very much. We were all there. But you, you is a baby. Absolutely. Gifted. You are gifted. I am. a baby. Well, speaking of, I mean, it's funny. I even preached on this this morning. Uh, not that one. I mean, it was in the in Hebrews. It says, you know, in fact, though by the, this is in Hebrews five, by the way. In fact, uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not equated with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who is constant use who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I'll get there. I have a feeling there's gonna come a time where a board member, somebody, is gonna come to me and say, Matt, we kinda need to address this issue. I am blessed. Our church is financially stable. We are um, we, I mean, we are truly, truly blessed in, in that aspect. But I know, I'm coming up on a year in August, and I have not mentioned it once. I have a feeling, because it's been on my mind more and more, that every week when I go to write a sermon, I don't, I think, well, I'm not, I know I'm not going to talk about politics, and I know I'm not going to talk about money problem is that money thing is starting to roll around in my head a little more a lot more and it, it's one of those things i mean we don't we don't want to talk about it but again it's me coming up with i'll admit i'm not the greatest with money i, I spend my money on stupid stuff case in point turbo man turbo man uh case in point the truck i drive at four dollars and 89 cents for a gallon of diesel um, 
Well, I have a uh, wooden nativity set over there that's worth about two hundred and fifty bucks. So, but I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we've <sighs> people ask like, what? How do you how do you choose what you're going to preach on? I choose to preach on something that God puts on my heart. That is something that I know God is starting to kind of tug at me a little bit. He's not very, he's subtle at first, and then when you don't really start getting, you know, when you don't take the hint, then he brings out the sledgehammer and starts, hey, we're, we're going to talk about this. You're going to talk about it. And, you know, it's I kind of draw on this whole ministry walk I've, I'm on, I've drawn on, you know, it's the old, tired, tattered scripture, but it, it carries so much weight with me. You know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans that I have you, they, thus says the Lord. Now that uh, sounded pastoral. I mean. There you go. Um, I can, I can pull, I got a bone every once in a while, you know, I can, I can throw it down. Well, I mean, go ahead. I was going to say. Um, go ahead. For those of you who still may be skeptical or want to know an example of how personal testimonies, personal understandings, personal uh, metaphors might work out in a sermon. So let's say for the sake of argument, Matthew's preaching about, you know, being a year into ministry, thinking to himself exactly how much more time, let's say, old Uncle Joel Olstein has in, or Franklin Graham, Lord help him, and um, you know, even Pastor Glenn over here, twenty years in the UMC, um, and I would turn your attention to the show Guys Grocery Games. You familiar? Oh, Good absolutely, show. absolutely. And on Guy's Grocery Games, occasionally they play a game called You Can Only Use a Certain Aisle, or you have to get a product off a certain aisle. And every now and again, they use the aisle with the cat litter and the baby food and all that nonsense. And someone will get a little pack of, like, baby food, like oranges and mangoes or grapes and bananas or whatever. And they will use that nasty ingredient... If I if you never taste a baby food, go to the grocery store right now and it get it and not, do it. It's it, it, awful. Oh gosh! And they will turn that into something beautiful and make it an accent to an incredible dish that is served up to the judges. Now you know who else has seen that happen? Everyone in your congregation. Everyone now is seeing what you're seeing in your head. And then you tell them, Matthew. If I were preaching, we were doing something together, or if I were mentioning it, and I've mentioned Matthew before, he's a dear, dear friend of mine, and I consider him a great colleague and a, a really a hope to the future of the church, I would say, yes, you might equate his time and service to something like baby food. But given to Christ, who can use these things in incredible ways, it has become the accent to a beautiful work of art and trying to bring people into his presence. And everyone who doesn't think you should use a personal testimony or a personal story can kick grits because everyone in your congregation now knows the value of someone who may have not, not been doing this for so long, and they know exactly what you're talking about. That is the effectiveness of a personal story or a personal testimony. So if you're really worked up and against it, 
Just consider you just talked to everyone in the room. Everyone's seen a guy's grocery games. Even if they didn't like it, somebody said, you got to see this show. Mm-hmm. And it chopped, if you want to go that way. Iron Chef. They all use these crazy ingredients. You could use that for someone recovering from alcohol or drugs. Sometimes they have to use a crazy ingredient, like something from the sea we've never heard of, or a plant in you know Nova Scotia that makes you see rainbows and unicorns when you eat it. And I think that's called mushrooms, but... No, nah, I'm thinking something else. No. <laughs> but they do that too, I guess. Yeah, well. Um, so I've heard. Never done mushrooms. Um, I've, I've, I found out from hanging out with teenagers the last week, I'm very timid. Oh, so, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you could say what they use these crazy, nasty ingredients, and it's turned into something special. When you give God and let him use you the way he wants to, he can do something beautiful and special with it. So see, that's, you know, you, you say something like, well, I haven't been doing this long, or man, I've been doing this forever. But given to God, you could do incredible things with it. You know, just a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, I forgot I didn't preach last week. I talked about brokenness in ministry. Often you find yourself ministering in places later in life that you struggled with when you were younger. So your ministry is often founded in your brokenness, was the line I said. How might that be applicable using the Bible? Well, David was a poor shepherd boy who became a king. Noah was a drunk who saved the world. Samson was a fiend who took down the, you know, the sea people, Philistines. But for Glenn... I got a D in Algebra and a D minus in Algebra 2. And the D minus in Algebra 2, I didn't deserve. Teacher passed me because she loved me. Mm. So if I were to preach on a passage, Christ's power is found in our weakness, which is in Scripture. Mm. How would I illustrate that? I would illustrate it in this way. I tutor two young gals in math, have for a few years now. And one of them's getting up towards high school now, and the math's getting a little bit harder. And a couple weeks ago, we were doing slope intercept and finding rates of change and nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat there with her, and we watched the videos, and I finally got the hang of what we were doing. And she got a 19 out of 22 on her test. Hmm. She's the second or third highest grade in the class, her mom told me. I'm not trying to take a bunch of credit for that other than this. If you'd have asked me three years ago, Glenn, do you think you could possibly ever tutor me in algebra? I'd have told you, I don't. I can't even read algebra. I wouldn't know where to start. On my own time, I went back and went through algebra and algebra 2 and found out what I missed, where it all went wrong. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that endeavor was worth doing. I don't know why. I spent a lot of time on it. Working through con math and buying books and things because I just felt like there was something there I needed to do. And now, something that nearly broke me. It was depressing. Mm -hmm. In fact, I didn't... My college math class was my last final, last class in college because I was so afraid to take it. And now I'm effectively tutoring 
a little girl in that in that mess. I never get that done on my own, ever. But God took something that was broken and made it a strength. And I've been told by a lot of people I trust the reason that I can do that with kids, because it's not just those two girls. I worked in special ed, and I'm going to be working in special ed again, I found out soon. It's because I know what they feel, because I see what they see, is why I'm so effective at it. So you're going to look me in the eye and tell me that God doesn't use our brokenness to do tremendous things? Mm -hmm. Now, if I had just read the passage and told you, well, you see, your ministry is found in your brokenness, and then just moved on, would you have got it? Crickets, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it, it immediately becomes... And I, I remember when I was a kid, there were, there were... I heard a few ministers in my youth that were... They were very much old school, fire brimstone, Bible thumper kind of guys, you know? Uh, I mean, they were, and I mean, that, it was awesome, you know. And at the time, it probably did work. And it, it allowed people the opportunity to actually, you know, that, that's all you needed. You know, we didn't have, um, you know, you didn't have people playing on their phones. You didn't have people um, who were, you know, coming in late, you know, Sunday morning because, they stayed up and watched the Comedy Central roast of Bob Saget or something like that, you know. That was enough for them. As much as we hate to admit it and hate to see it, well, we don't really hate to see it, but, well, the older guys do. We have to embrace the whole idea that you got to go where the people are. We're reaching, we're in a, we're in a, a segment of our culture now of people who grew up going to church because they were forced to and as soon as they hit the moment where they didn't have to go they quit going and they haven't been for X amount of years and The people and that's and people are you know these people are scared to come back to the con to a church because they know it's going to be hellfire and damnation. I mean that's all they think that's going to be preached on. And for a time that's what was talked about was preached on. That's what was you know it was. If you don't get up you know if you don't it's the old what's the what's the Rodney Carrington thing. If you don't get up and come forward today, God's done with you. God's got gotcha, you. Huh? Well, well we can't. We can't finish that. Yeah. We could, but we won't. We won't. But you back uh, your color, and I see you. <laughs> I ain't uh, funny. Uh, I got up crying. <laughs> I've been drinking, Pastor. You tell it, brother. Oh, I've been. I've been. I haven't been going to church. You say it again. No, oh, I can't finish the last one because. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. Okay, let's stop uh, there. There's some things the Lord don't, don't even know. <laughs> but I the mean. The is when you walk back, people looking at you. You really did all that, didn't you? You sinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us some sugar, lady. <laughs> but, but. Would have been a great preacher, wouldn't have been anything for an example. Let's just <laughs> sing some hymns and go home. <laughs> 
I got a headache and a dry heat. Get <laughs> your communion. Take it to go. But I mean, you have to be that way. You have to kind of, you got, I hate the fact that we have to look at it now, but the church is kind of has to adopt, I shouldn't say they have to, but we as pastors have to adopt kind of the mentality of a sales pitch in a sense. And follow me on this. We have, a, we have something we're trying to offer. We're literally trying to teach people about, you know, finding salvation in God's kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That in and of itself should be enough. And for a long time, it was. But it's not enough anymore. It's not... That quote-unquote product is no longer self-sufficient. Do you want I mean... The best way I can correlate it is, do you think here in 2022, you could offer a 1922 Ford Model T to this market? Brand new, right out of the factory. Do you think they would sell? Hand crank, no window, I mean, one window. I mean, depends on how they market it. Well, uh, I mean, but, but... Probably not, I mean, not long term. You get some nostalgia sales, but that'd be about it. But think of, okay, so follow me. So look at that. Look at the aspect on that. It's the same message. A car, a a 1922 Model T and a 2022 Ford, they quit making cars, F-150. 1942 Ford. Something I can't remember what he said. Um, They're the same thing. They literally get you from A to B. The 2022 is going to have heat, air, cruise control, satellite radio, leather seats, all this stuff. The Model T, it runs and it drives. That's it. That's it. And you can have it in any color as long as it's black. Bingo. Um, it's still the same general idea that is being try- trying to be sold. That's no law, but again, like you said, and I'm glad I'm kind of glad you mentioned it. It's how it is marketed. It's how it's presented. It's how it can be consumed. If I get up there and preach, you know, uh, if I literally just crack open, you know, the Bible and go to Revelation automatically and talk about the end of times, that's gonna scare the crap out of a lot of people. One, because we don't understand it, some of us. True that. And two, the ones the some the ones of us that do know it or do understand it to a point. If I do that every single Sunday, nobody's going to come because because we're overlooking um, we're overlooking the whole back to Wendy's the whole idea. Um. Of why we are gathered together every single Sunday in God's house. And the way to do that is it's no longer we're offering this thing. We're offering sal- we're offering to help you find salvation through his son. You can't just say that sentence anymore. You have to show. Because the skepticism... Have you noticed that skepticism has grown probably in the last 25, 30 years? 
Probably longer than that. I think there's always been skeptics. It's just... The, the questions, perhaps, over time change. So, when particularly when someone answers with, well, you just got to have faith. People don't accept that. No. It, they got to have a hard and fast I answer. I would like to know why I need to accept that. Well, you just do. Well, I'm not going. What, what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, it... it, it... We can't. We we have. We're in a we're in a culture now. And we have been for some time, where you we want to know these things. We want to draw a line in the sand and be able to follow it. But the thing about it is, there's you can't always do that. You can't. So when you have this quandary, when you have this idea that you're trying to push with this little thing attached to it, with the uncertainty that we may. That we don't know the hour, we don't know the time, but yet we do know he is coming back. How am I going to go out and present that to people who are maybe very, very young in their in their walk with Christ, who have just found it, maybe even just been baptized, not even quite baptized yet, but they've been thinking about it. <clears throat> how are they how are they going to find that out and know that unless they can see the proof in the pudding? Because that, it we are literally um, we are a show me culture now. We have been, but we are we have to see it. We have to feel it. We have to experience it. We have to know it. And when you can hear, and that's the reason why I I personally believe you know I personally think that. You know, when you go on, like if I buy something on Amazon, I'm very picky about it. I read the reviews. People who have honestly had this product in their hands and have, this bag is a classic example. I literally spent two weeks researching bags. Finally found on this one because it was the one that was the most cost effective and had the best reviews. Because people had had a chance to experience it. I had a chance to look at it, feel it, live with it. If what I've gone through... Now, I'm not saying that every pastor has gone through... They've lived a life of hell and, you know, uh, tribulation and things and trials. Um, but I'll bet a good chunk of us have. The reason why God calls us to do ministry because what we have gone through... Has, can speak volumes to somebody who is going through something very similar, if not the same thing. And that allows me to connect with another person. Same reason why I preach in jeans. Same reason why if you ask me at the bar on Friday night, sure, okay, I'll meet you up, meet up with you. Even if we don't talk about God, if we, even if we don't talk about church or anything, just the simple fact that they know what I do on Sunday mornings, they know where I go. If it allows me to make a connection with that person, and eventually when they come to that point, and they come to me and say, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, but they're coming to me because they can trust me on it, that is the reason why I told that story on Sunday. That is why I talked about learning to ride a bicycle or something like that. Um, go ahead, Glenn. Well, I was just
just going to say is we, uh, I'm going to aggressively move us towards our, um, a try not to laugh challenge. Oh yes, yes. I with pastor that. jokes. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess if, with your permission, I'll kind of sew this this time up with absolutely yeah. How I get my material, aside from hiccups. Hold on a second. Mm. Uh, I got a little special thing. Get rid of hiccups. Mm. It won't work. Um, mm. How I get my material is as follows. There is a lectionary, which is a special calendar we've talked about before, that lists different passages and themes for different times of the year. Also, I have a devotional, a prayer book I read out of, that sometimes gives me something that I'm like, you know, I should talk about that. Where I most often get my material is I know my Bible well enough at this point that I can pretty well pick out something from wherever they find, if I need it. I see something in the world I see something in social media, I see something on television, and I want to address it. There's tremendous value in that, because chances are most of the people in your congregation saw it too. And they are thinking about it themselves, and you can give them a Christian perspective on that issue. Also, it's tremendously valuable because it will teach you, as a minister, not to fear what people tell you. For a long time, I would tell people I didn't do confession at all because I didn't want to hear what they had to say. <laughs> okay, it's not required in Wesleyanism, so I was all, I'll hear it now. Because, and this might sound weird, I'm sure it does, because I've been doing this for a long time. It doesn't seem weird to me anymore, but I know at one time it did. The value in being able to have someone tell you something and you don't emit a negative reaction is so priceless. I cannot tell you how beneficial that has been in my ministry and in the lives of people who have shared things with me that probably would have been met with shock, disgust, you know, with other people, even trusted people in their lives, they would have taken that too. And it opens up a door to someone that would never have been there with anyone and they would have just had to sit on that. And there are some things people need to say. I was abused. I was neglected. I was used. I was mistreated. I made some poor decisions. I'm into some weird stuff. I'm telling you right now, folks, there's scriptural evidence for all of it. Jesus never got surprised. When they went to him with stuff, he never went, Oh, for heaven's sakes, Jim, get a life. He said, I hear you. Here's, Here's what I want you to do. I've been told by a few people, and it's been very few, and I respect their opinion, that going about ministry that way is going about it the wrong way. I respectfully, but with a vengeance and supreme passion and violence, tell you you're wrong. To give people an avenue to trust you on that kind of level 
opens the door to Jesus. And as a kingdom of priests, that's what we're trying to do. So while I respect people who go to church and just want to hear the gospel and just want to hear the same old stories and the pastor just to present it and it to be clean and vanilla and pretend like the world out there doesn't exist, God bless you, I ain't coming to your church. I want a church that is real. That is willing to hear the truth and is not offended by it, but loves you so much, we're going to look past all that at your heart, your dignity, and who you are. And if I'm wrong, so be it. At least I tried. So with that being said, you got anything else or are you ready? Go ahead. I'll get myself set up here. All right. Well, I mean, like I mentioned, the way I come come up with topics or come up with um, material is, like I said, when I started, it was about something that God would put in my life that week. Um, I would write the sermon on it and, you know, give it. And it worked. But the thing about it is, do you realize how much effort and time? Because, I mean, it got to a point, it was literally happening on, like, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon and being like, uh, this ain't gonna work. I mean, it did, but I mean, I would be up, you know, I'd be later, like Saturday night at like 11 o'clock, writing a sermon, and the thing about it is, that takes, I mean, if we, I'd get invited to go play cards or something with somebody else, be like, hey guys, I got jet at like 9.30, because I got to finish writing the sermon for this week, well dude, you just got here at 8.45, yeah, I know man, it's crazy, um, we're getting up at like 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and, and writing it and everything. Did that for a while. Um, eventually, it came to a point where I just I stopped digging so hard and literally look at what... Because I was focusing on what God was trying to put in my life that was new and started looking at you know what He was tugging on my heart for the week, you know, for... A long time be like you know what that's I never thought of that you know and and you know I would try to think back to like what I've gone through and or something that would tie in that would make sense um, and I tried to say I have my sermons done by Thursday morning I mean so that's good and I mean but Mondays I usually dedicate to that's my my Bible study that's when I I literally just sit, I open the book, I open my Bible, and just start reading Scripture. Wherever it's, it opens, and I just start reading the Scriptures. And I start, you know, kind of correlating. I think about, or if there's a Scripture that I heard a chunk of, but I want to know the rest of it. I want to know the whole details of it and things like that. And I, I read through these things, and I, I study on them, I pray on them. And then Tuesday, during the day, I'm thinking... Well, you know, that scripture there is kind of hanging on me for some reason, and I don't know why. And you start thinking, well, yeah, okay, this could work. I could, okay, yeah, this that's a pretty good point, yeah. And eventually, by Tuesday night, I'm writing, for me, coming up with the sermon title and the main scripture, to me, half the work's done. Because after that, it's all just between me and God. That's what God wants to put on my heart for me to give in this in this sermon. And 
Wednesday night. I write it, work on it. There's been a few here lately. I've been, I mean, I there for like two weeks now. I've had something every single night going on, meeting or whatever. So, you know, I Thursday, uh, Friday morning is usually when it's getting wrapped up. Maybe even Saturday morning, I've been pushing it. Um, but for the most part, it's been pretty, pretty, you know, standard. Because I'll tell you what. There is something so liberating and freeing because it can feel, if you go about it the wrong way, it can feel like a weight. Oh my gosh, i got to come up with another sermon for the week. And you push it back and back and back. And finally, it's Thursday afternoon or Thursday evening. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to preach on. You think, oh, i got two more days. I'm good. It's Saturday at 10 o'clock and you ain't got jack. There's a room full of people tomorrow expects you to show up. I mean, what in the world am I going to preach on? And inevitably, it draws on that whole, on you know, God's never going to give you more. I mean, we've talked about this, but, you know, there's the old adage, you know, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. He will. He's going to stretch you. He's going to stretch you a little bit. But at the end of it, you're going to grow because of it. But, um... In those moments, in those times when I've literally pushed it to the max, you know, thank God I serve, you know, thank goodness I serve a, a forgiving and, a, and a, a loving God because he's, he's, he saw me through a couple times on them. When I literally had nothing in the tank to preach on for Sunday, and then all of a sudden something from left field literally hits me, and uh, there I am sitting writing the sermon for, ne- for the next day. Um, but that's, and I mean, you know, people ask, well, do you recycle sermons? Do you do this, do that? And you and I talked about that. I'll uh, recycle a premise. I don't know that I'll recycle a sermon. I, I have once just solely because it was a sermon. It was the last sermon I gave at my, uh, my quote unquote home church where I left to go do ministry. Um, and it was on Mr. Rogers and being a friend and all these things. And my wife loved it. She thought it was such a great sermon. When I went to Strawn, Strawn Community Chapel, for those of you who are curious and want to look us up on Facebook, please do. Um, when I went to Strawn, she said, you know, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to preach on this week. She said, do the Mr. Rogers sermon. That's a great sermon. I pushed it, pushed it, and I, said, I don't know. Finally, at the beginning of this year, I'm like, you know what? Somebody told me, I said, Matt, it's okay. We've never heard that one before. You can give it again. I give it, and you want to know the, the most ironic thing? It was the week that my wife and that my wife and Lorraine were not in church that week. She had hounded me so long to hear it, and the week I choose to do it, she's nowhere to be found. Mm. She still gives me grief on it. But... Um, but, you know, it, it, that's one of those things that, like I say, people, when people ask where we come up with material, it's, it's like, I, I hate to say it this way, but it's like a comedian. Some of the best things in the world come to you just from daily life, from our, how we've, what we've done in the past, what we're going to do, what we want to do. Observation. Exactly. So... That's how we do it, guys. I mean, we just look and see what's going on in the world, in our world, 
and we correlate it with with a story, with a gag, and like I said, uh, the first church that I worked at as an associate pastor, a couple times that I preached, they said, I had I literally gave a sermon about, it was right after the day, it was the first, first Sunday after Christmas, and I talked about how we get gifts for Christmas, and we go to school and we talk about them, right? And we're all excited, and we oftentimes overlook the greatest gift of the season because after christmas is done we don't really want to think about the birth of jesus and everything like that uh, we put it on the shelf with the rest of the christmas lights till next year and i i kept saying like the gift of the season the gift of the season and the pastor's complaint was that i didn't mention jesus but three times if you know what the gift of the season is, why in the world am I... I mean, I get it. Yeah, I could have said it more, but I mean, out of all that, that's what you gleaned from the sermon? When someone's looking to hound you, that's what they hear. Well, I mean, like I said, this was also a person who hounded me every time I would give a sermon because you, you tell stories, and, you know, I don't know if those work or not. Yeah, because you talk about yourself a lot, like you said. Yeah, and my stories are funny. My stories are, you know, in 30 short years, I've done a lot of crap. Well, consider where that person is now and where you are. You tell about everything you need. Nah, that's, that's, that's the little, that's the mint I suck on as I walk out of the church every week, you know. Uh, so, we're going to get off that high horse. I, I, I need a laugh. I need a, I need a joke. Right. Well, I, I will close this topic with the following. And I know I said we would a half hour ago. That's yeah. good. That's good Methodism right there. That, that's um, on. Hey, that's on you, bud. I'm. The final piece to the puzzle, as far as gathering material, is I actually have a list of things that I am ready to preach on at any given second. Psalm twenty-three, Psalm eighty-four, Romans five-eight, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. See if I can remember the other ones. Exodus twenty verse seven. And, and oh, First uh, Corinthians eight, meat sacrificed idols. Mm-hmm. So I've got I think that's three New Testament, three Old Testament that I could pull out on any given second because John Wesley's advice to all pastors was to be ready at any given second to pray, to preach, and to die. Good on you, John. That's pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to do a treat for you here. We're going to do the Don't Laugh Challenge. I have agreed in, in my own personal brain here to do five of these because we're not going to make it past the first one. So we will go five in case you didn't laugh out there. I'm coming strong with the first one. Okay. All right. There's a church service. The, the halls of the sanctuary, I mean, it's just packed to the gills. People crawling all over each other. And up from the floorboards, the devil jumps out right up in front on stage. And everyone goes running out and he's growling and swinging his flame and trident at everybody. And everyone runs for their lives, except old Mitch. Mitch is 87 years old and he's sitting on the front row in his suit. And the devil walks down to him, gets right in his face, says, do you know who I am? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, I do. 
Mephistopheles, Satan. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'm Mitchell. And he goes, are you aware of what I could do to you? Oh, sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I do what you got to do. I'm not going anywhere, I suppose. He says, well, may I ask why not? He says, ah, you don't scare me. I've been married to your sister for 60 years. <laughs> oh, look at him biting it. He's going to survive. All right. Next one, next one, next one. Number two. Number two here. All right. Let's get a good one here. All right. You get through this one, I might eat your hat. Baptist preacher sits next to a cowboy on a flight. The plane takes off, and the cowboy asks for a whiskey and soda, which is promptly placed before him. The flight attendant then asks the preacher what he would like to drink, and he replies, water. Appalled by his choice, the preacher says, I'd rather be tied up and taken advantage of by women of ill repute than to let that liquor hit my lips. The cowboy calls the flight attendant back over and gives the drink back and tells the minister, Wow, I didn't know I had that kind of choice. <laughs> You're losing it. Uh... Number three. I'm going to try again. Okay, let me. You know our, our new uh, Pope, Pope Francis, mm -hmm. uh, had a penchant for public transportation. And so he's on a train one day heading down and heading to the parish. And a fellow hops on the train, clearly had not been home yet from the night before. Underwear in his pocket, suit wrinkled up, drink in his front pocket. And he pops right down by the then Cardinal. He opens his paper and starts reading it, and he's drifting back and forth and just stinks to high heaven. And he looks over at the cardinal and says, Hey, do you know what causes knee pain? And the cardinal responds, Well, I suppose fast women, big city living, drinking, gambling, smoking, poor choices in general. Oh, okay. And he goes back to his paper. Well, the cardinal immediately feels guilty. That was wrong. Mm. So he says, I'm sorry, my son. I, sin I sincerely apologize. I'm having a rough morning. How long have you had knee pain? He says, oh, I don't have knee pain. The Pope does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, you, ain't, you ain't ready for this one. Uh, Number four. Okay. An old country preacher had a teenage son, and it was getting time for the boy to choose his profession. The minister was curious what kind of mind and talent he had. The boy didn't really know what he wanted to do, and he didn't seem that worried about it, but his father was scared to death. One day, while he was away at school, his father decided to try an experiment, and he put some objects in the boy's room. A Bible, a silver dollar, a bottle of whiskey, and a Playboy. I'll just hide these behind the door here. When he comes home, I'll see which one he picks. If it's the Bible, he's going to be a preacher like me. If he picks up the dollar, he's going to be a businessman. That's all right. If he picks up the bottle, he's going to be a drunkard, and Lord knows what shame that would be. And if he picks up the playboy, he's going to be a skirt-chasing womanizer. Oh, help me, Jesus. Well, the old man waits anxiously, and soon his son heads up the stairs to his room. The boy threw his books on the bed and spotted all the objects around the room. 
He picked up the Bible and placed it under his arm. Picked up the silver dollar, dropped it in his pocket, uncorked the bottle and took a big drink, then admired the magazine centerfold. His father cried out in agony, Oh, dear Lord, have mercy. He's going to run for Congress. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nobody's going to get this one except you and I, so this is strictly for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. I'll see if I can. If you all out there in in uh, podcast land get this one, you're doing things right. Preacher tells his congregation, next week I'm going to preach on lying. To help you understand my sermon, I want you to go home and read Mark 17. Can you handle that? Everyone nods in agreement. Next week comes, preacher stands up and says, all right. How many of you read Mark 17? Nearly everyone raises their hand, including a bunch of people who look surprised. The preacher said, ah, yes. Considering Mark has only 16 chapters, we're going to start. <laughs> so, there you go. So, to ride off in the sunset, Billy went to the preacher and said, Preacher, I got I to gotta have prayers. Got to have prayers for my hearing. Minister says, all right. So he places his hands on his ears like earmuffs and says a prayer to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, removes his hand and says, well, how's your hearing now? He says, well, I don't know. It's not until Tuesday. <laughs> oh, Folks, we hope you've enjoyed this this oh. evening. Had a laugh, shared a few tears. I don't know. <laughs> I've, I actually have one. I'll see if you can. All right. It's, it's, it's a Billy story here. Oh, a Billy story. It's a Billy story. So, how would you like to make a dollar, Billy? So, pastor just moved to town, and he's getting into the congregation and everything. And uh, he comes up to a little boy and sees Billy playing on the street and says, Hey, what are you doing? I said, Oh, we're just hanging around, doing a lot of nothing. Pastor says, oh, okay, I'll introduce himself. Said, I'm the new preacher of the church. Said, yeah, I've heard about you. And uh, <clears throat> Billy said, you know, we got rid of our last pastor because uh, he got into trouble a lot. Said, yeah, I heard that too. Said, it'd be a shame if you got into trouble too, Pastor, you know. Pastor kind of raised an eyebrow. Said, what do you mean? Said, well, I might just go tell him that you were mean to me. Oh, I don't want that. I said, well, you're going to have to do something. And he said, what, what's, and the pastor's kind of playing, what's it going to take? And he said, uh, he said, well, I don't know, let me think on it. The pastor goes back to the church, and sits in there, and little Billy comes back, or hears the door close behind, you know, behind him, said, what's going on, you know, turns around, and, Says, shut off the lights. All right, shuts off the lights and comes up and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I, I did some horrible things. So, well, all right, tell me what they are. Told him. Said, wow, okay, well, that's pretty, pretty bad. And the little boy, and the boy says, uh, man, it's, it's dark in here, ain't it? And he said, yeah, I guess it is. Said, 
I'll tell you what. You know, you know a lot about me. I, how, how do I know you're not going to make a sermon out of this? And he said, well, I don't know. I guess you just had to take me up words. I said, no, 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 we ain't going to do that. I said, well, the pastor said, well, how are you, how are you, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I got a baseball here for sale, $5. And he said, $5, I, I, I ain't going to buy your, you know, you're, I'm not going to pay you to keep silent, you know. He's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to go tell him. Well, by then he knows it's uh, Billy. He says, all right. So he turns on the lights, gives him the $5 bill, and gets the baseball. Next day, pastor's in the office. And there's the door closed again. Say, can you shut off the lights? I said, yeah. Door opens, can't really see who it is. They sit down, they tell him more bad stuff, what goes on, what he's done. Man, that's horrible. But, you know, God forgives all. Looks around and says, man, that's dark in here, ain't it? He said, yeah, I guess it is. I said, man, I told you some deep, dark stuff today. How in the world am I going to know, how am I going to trust you? He said, well, you're just going to have to, son. He said, nah, I don't trust you. Not that, not yet. You're new. So what am I going to have to do to do this? He said, I got a baseball bat here. I'll sell it to you. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, why do I need to pay you money? I'm not going to do this. You, this is the, the privilege of being your pastor. I said, no, it's five bucks or I'm going to have to go, you know, I'm going to have to go tell somebody you've been mean to me. All right. Turns the lights on, gives us a five-hour bill. Gets the baseball bat. Well, the pastor realizes that, you know what? He's extorting me. So he need, he goes over and <clears throat> he goes over and start, starts talking, to, you know, knocks on the door and Billy's mom, gorgeous blonde, um, recently single. She invites him in and starts making coffee and everything. And uh, she said, I'll be right back. Well, all of a sudden he looks out, the pickup truck pulls in, it's her ex-husband. He's just fuming mad. So he's like, oh, I don't want to get caught in this. So he runs into the living room, jumps in the closet. He sits in there for a minute, looks around. And he says, man, it's dark. boy, it's dark in here, ain't it? And another voice pipes up and says, I ain't got no more stuff to sell, preacher. <laughs> so... That's mine. I always keep it. it. It can get a little more raunchy, but oh well. Uh, but we, folks, we thank you for tuning in and listening to us. As always, it's a blast to do this show for y'all. I hope that this show has kind of been a catalyst for you to start realizing that, you know what? Church ain't all bad. The pastor's probably not a bad guy. And if you don't like your pastor... The beautiful thing about living in this great country of ours is you have the option to go visit another place. We might be biased, but we would recommend that you might check out either Willow Branch United Methodist Church or Strong Community Chapel. Both can be found on Facebook.com. As well as this podcast, it can be found on Facebook, Two Guys Who Might Be Pastors, as well as on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and The Anchor. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope that you've had a great uh, you've had a great time with us. Glenn, why don't you take us on out? Well, we do pray for all of you listening, and all of you that haven't started listening yet. And uh, we just want you to know that we appreciate uh, 
you taking the time and may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may lift his countenance to you and give you peace. Good night, Lindy and Kissed. Good morning, Vladivostok. Or Vladimir Putin can still kiss my grits. Amen, brother. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.